We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 394 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. It is the day on which we will receive our first injury report of the Commander's 2022 season. Yes, uh, the first injury report is a coming. The first of many injury reports for the Commanders in the 2022 season is coming. Uh, the Commanders are set to practice on Wednesday, off an off day on Tuesday, getting ready for what is on Sunday, the regular season opener, home to the Jacksonville Jaguars Sunday afternoon at 1. You know, the Commanders now have an official dog for the 2022 season. You may want the Commanders to have more dog in them, D-A-W-G, but the Commanders now have an actual official dog, D-O-G, for the 2022 season. Uh, A dog. The name of the dog is Mando. And actually, this is a good deal. Uh, Mando was named by Commanders players. Mando is in training with a special group, Canines for Warriors, to soon become a service dog for a military veteran in need. So welcome aboard, Mando. And, you know, you think about this, Mando, Mandos. Could Mandos become the nickname for the Commanders? We on the Al Galdi podcast have been searching for months for a proper nickname for the Commanders. Now, Mandos is two syllables, not one, and the goal has been to find a one-syllable nickname for Commanders. But you know what? Commanders is three syllables, so a two-syllable nickname would be shorter than the three-syllable full name. But what do you think about that? The Mandos. Could that work as a nickname for the Commanders? Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast, a Washington, D.C. sports podcast for which there is a new episode each weekday, Monday through Friday. I go in-depth on the Commanders on every episode of the podcast. And hey, guess what happened on Tuesday? Bruce Allen was deposed by Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Yeah, you didn't think that this Commander's Game Week would be a normal game week, did you? 
Uh, there's no such thing as normal with the Commanders. And so next segment, I will give you some thoughts on our former Redskins executive vice president slash head coach, our former Redskins team president, Bruce Allen, testifying before Congress regarding the commander's workplace misconduct scandal and testifying for more than 10 hours. What was Bruce telling Congress about his former boss, his former friend, and now bitter enemy, our commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder? You know, the culture is actually damn good. Yes, Brucey, the culture is damn good, we know. Uh, after our Bruce Allen conversation, I do have a special guest for you to talk actual Commanders football, to in fact preview the Commanders 2022 season. Commanders analyst Nathan Coleman. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Commander Stats. Uh, Nathan is a big Commanders fan. He knows analytics really well. He speaks that language very well. I always like bringing to you via this podcast different perspectives on the Commanders, you know, not just the same old, same old. Uh, Nathan knows his stuff, and he will be with me for an in-depth preview of the Commanders 2022 season. Coming up shortly, uh, we are going to hit on a number of items, including, of course, Carson Wentz. And did you see the latest hate for our guy, our QB1, Carson Wentz, a.k.a. Commander Carson. I tweeted about this on Tuesday afternoon. The Ringer, which I actually think usually is pretty good, has ranked Carson Wentz as the number 28 quarterback in the NFL. Number 28. Those quarterbacks ranked ahead of Carson Wentz include Marcus Mariota, Geno Smith and Daniel Jones. I mean, Geno Smith. Cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Carson Wentz isn't a great quarterback. And you are not wrong to have questions and concerns regarding Carson. I have questions and concerns regarding Carson. But this over-the-top depiction of Carson Wentz as some trash quarterback is ridiculous. Enough is enough, man. Geno Smith is better than Carson Wentz. Like, really, Geno Smith? Geno Smith has started five games over the last seven NFL regular seasons. Five games since the start of the 2015 regular season. And he's ranked ahead of Carson Wentz. What a joke. <laughs> I mean, what an absolute joke. Like, it's one thing if you have, say, Trey Lance ranked ahead of Carson Wentz. You know, if you buy into the upside of Trey Lance, okay, fine. But Geno Smith? Do we not know who Geno Smith is, and yet he's ranked ahead of Carson Wentz? Give me a break. Also on the show, uh, I will talk Nationals and Orioles. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday night lost at the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals 4-1. I have a bone to pick with Nats manager Davey Martinez regarding him going right back to having the returning Nelson Cruz as the Nats starting DH and number four batter. Uh, the O's on Tuesday night got a much-needed win, uh, a wild 9-6 win over the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards to move to within three and a half games of the Blue Jays for the American League's third wildcard spot. Uh, there was a lot going on in this game, including dugouts and bullpens emptying at one point. 
I shall explain. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Eric, who has sent me a link for what he says would make for a good Christmas present for my five-year-old son, who is very into landscaping work and landscaping tools. And the link is for a toy riding mower, a battery-powered ride-on mower. Uh, Wow. Thank you, Eric. Uh, It comes in at a cool $299.99. Well, I'll just deduct that from his college fund. There you go. Uh, I got feedback to our discussion on Tuesday's show, episode 393, about the idea that the commanders finally have a quarterback in Carson Wentz. Uh, This is something that was said directly by Dan Snyder and has been said indirectly by head coach Ron Rivera and general manager Martin Mayhew. A tweet from Timothy, I think they're right. We need effective. We don't need great. And Wentz can be effective. Uh, Thank you for that, Timothy. Yeah, I agree with you. Carson Wentz can be effective. Now, ultimately, you do want greatness at quarterback, uh, not just effectiveness. But while you are looking for the greatness, uh, Carson can provide effectiveness. Uh, tweet from Mike, and Mike references me having referenced the Kansas City Chiefs' epic 42-36 overtime win over the Buffalo Bills this past January 23rd in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs and how the great duel between Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes and Bills quarterback Josh Allen was a showcase of that which is possible and that for which every NFL team should strive at quarterback and with its passing offense, writes Mike. Yes, Chiefs-Bills last year was a great display of quarterbacking, but it is not an example of the current state of the NFL. If it was, every week would be like that. Neither of those teams made the Super Bowl. Defense is still relevant, even if it clearly is a passing league. I remember the year that the Chiefs and Rams had an offensive orgy on Monday Night Football. What was the score of the Super Bowl that year? Patriots 13, Rams Three, even in this pass-happy NFL, there are other ways to win. Uh, Thank you for the tweets, Mike. So a few things. My point wasn't that every week in the NFL is like Chiefs-Bills. My point was that the quarterbacking that we saw in Chiefs-Bills was a display of -of state-of-the-art quarterbacking, uh, the likes of which we rarely, if ever, have seen from Washington over the last four seasons. What was on display in Chiefs-Bills is possible in the NFL in 2022 at quarterback and with passing offense. And that's what the commanders need to be striving for at quarterback and with their passing offense. Decent isn't good enough. Good isn't good enough. You want greatness. And that may sound obvious, like, duh, you want greatness everywhere. But right now, nothing correlates with winning in the NFL more then passing offense does. And so if you are great at passing offense, you give yourself a really good chance of being great as a team. Understand that eight of the top 10 teams in the NFL in passing offense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric for the 2021 regular season made the NFL playoffs for last season. Eight of the top 10. And the two top 10 teams in passing offense in the 2021 regular season per DVOA that did not make the NFL playoffs for last season were the Los Angeles Chargers and the Seattle Seahawks. But the Chargers went 9-8 and eight and barely missed making the playoffs. And the Seahawks went 7-10 and 10 but had a point differential of plus 29. Uh, yes, you can win with defense and you should try to have a good defense. But it has never been harder to have a good defense given the way that offense is done in today's NFL. And by the way, this is true in college football. You know, the greatest head coach in college football history, 
the dictator, Alabama head coach Nick Saban, he has talked about this, how good defense no longer regularly beats good offense in college football. And that's also now true in the NFL. In fact, see another game from last postseason. In fact, another Bills game, the Bills 47-17 blowout of the New England Patriots. The Bills' 47-17 evisceration of the New England Patriots. This past January 15th, in the wildcard round, uh, the Pats finished the 2021 regular season number three in the NFL in pass defense per DVOA. The game time temperature was a mere seven degrees, so it's not like it was a beautiful night for pitching and catching, as uh, our former Redskins head coach Steve Spurrier would say. And yet, the Bills put on a passing game clinic. The great passing offense destroyed the great pass defense, even in a game for which the game time temperature was a mere seven degrees. Josh Allen went 21 of 25 for 308 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took no sacks, and he had six carries for 66 yards. Greatness. That's the goal. Well, if your lawn is not at the level of greatness that the Bills' passing offense was at last NFL postseason, you gotta get with Weedman. Uh, Weedman, it cares for your lawn so that you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you do not have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn and take advantage of a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. Uh, that's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. Uh, Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Uh, Weedman's products are of the highest quality, uh, the best weed controls, state certified seed. Uh, Weedman's secret sauce is the fertilizer. All of Weedman's organic based fertilizer applications feature 65% super slow release nitrogen that feed your roots slowly and effectively. You see, Weedman has a mastery of the science behind a great lawn. And so put Weedman to work for you. A beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall. So take advantage of this special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. That's 571 571- 340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast. You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. Well, nothing says week one of the NFL season quite like an NFL team's former high-level executive being deposed by Congress. Uh, Nothing, and I mean nothing, is ever normal with our team. Former Redskins executive vice president slash general manager and then team president Bruce Allen. Uh, He on Tuesday was deposed by Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform, this regarding the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. So just days away 
from the Commanders 2022 regular season opener against the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field. We had Bruce Allen, aka Brucifer, testifying before Congress. Uh, The deposition happened via Zoom. We did not learn of the deposition until Tuesday morning. The news of this happening came out of nowhere, and the deposition ended up lasting for more than 10 hours. Uh, What exactly was said, we do not know. Uh, Whether what was said will ever come out, we do not know. Uh, I would think yes, but we also thought yes regarding the deposition of Dan Snyder, and that still hasn't come out. Uh, Our commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, he testified virtually before Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform regarding the commander's workplace misconduct scandal months ago now. July 28th was the day, the day after 2022 Commander's training camp began. So one day after Commander's training camp started, Dan Snyder testified before Congress. Five days before the Commander's 2022 regular season is set to begin, Bruce Allen testified before Congress. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You can never just enjoy the football with our team. Uh, Now, remember, Dan's testimony came via what was technically a voluntary deposition, as opposed to him testifying under a subpoena, uh, with which Congress was not able to serve him uh, due to him hiding on his super yacht and also due to his lawyers refusing to accept service of the subpoena. Remember, Dan testified from Israel, uh, where he attended a memorial service for his mother, who had died a year earlier. And Dan's testimony lasted for nearly 11 hours. And as you may recall, it wasn't until the 6 a.m. Eastern hour on July 28th that we got the word that the testimony would actually be happening. Uh, We had negotiations that went on for a month and a half between Team Dan Snyder and Team Congress. Uh, Look, it continues to feel like this congressional involvement with the commanders is going nowhere in terms of something significant happening to Dan Snyder. Uh, that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which has not been shy about releasing documents, still has given us nothing on Dan's testimony that took place on July 28th, would seem to say that the testimony was a big nothing burger. Uh, remember, too, that the chairwoman of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, Carolyn Maloney, is on her way out. Uh, she, on August 23rd, lost to Representative Jerry Nadler in the uh, Democratic primary race for New York's newly drawn 12th Congressional District. Uh, Maloney has been the person leading congressional involvement with the commanders regarding their workplace misconduct scandal, and she's on her way out. Uh, There is still the wild card of the Mary Jo White investigation. When the heck we're going to get the findings of that? Who the heck knows? Uh, We've been waiting on this for a while now. Remember, uh, the Mary Jo White investigation is into the allegations of former Redskins employee Tiffany Johnston against Dan Snyder. And, you know, you do have to say that this Bruce Allen testimony is a wild card. And maybe Brucifer's testimony ends up being a big nothing burger, but then again, maybe not. I mean, you got to think that Bruce knows things, a lot of things. He knows where bodies are buried. And remember that Dan and Bruce now despise each other. Dan Snyder, in a lawsuit filed on August 7th, 2020, accused an online media company of accepting payment in exchange for publishing defamatory rumors about Dan. Uh, This was all in that wild lead up to the publishing of the Washington Post's very first article 
on the workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, the article came out on July 16, 2020. Dan, in the lawsuit, was seeking $10 million in damages. Well, Dan, on April 15, 2021, filed a motion of discovery against Bruce Allen, seeking to go through his text messages and documents that allegedly led to the smear campaign against Dan. Uh, also, it turns out that per that filing, Dan, shortly after firing Bruce in December 2019, balked at paying Bruce what Bruce was contractually owed. Uh, read the filing in part, quote, after terminating Mr. Allen's position with the team, Mr. Snyder forced him to initiate legal proceedings to obtain the last of his contractually protected compensation. Specifically, on April 1st, 2020, Mr. Snyder attempted to use the coronavirus pandemic as an opportunity to reduce the amount still owed to Mr. Allen. This forced Mr. Allen to retain legal counsel and initiate a proceeding through the NFL to obtain his compensation, which he did, end quote. Also, the Washington Post, in a lengthy piece that came out on December 14th, 2021, detailed Dan Snyder allegedly having worked to disrupt Beth Wilkinson's investigation into the workplace misconduct scandal. Well, among the many notable items in that piece was an item that had to do with Dan Snyder having been mad that Bruce Allen did not send Dan a congratulatory text message in January 2020 when Dan hired Ron Rivera as Redskins head coach. Quote, in January 2020, after the news conference announcing Rivera's hire, according to People, Snyder learned that Allen had sent a congratulatory text to Rivera. Snyder was insulted, these people said, that he didn't receive a similar text from Allen, whom Snyder had fired a few weeks before. Later that year, the team, citing the pandemic, attempted to get out of paying Allen all of the money he was owed under his contract. Allen fought back and Snyder agreed to pay his full salary. But in a message sent to Allen's lawyers over settlement terms, one of Snyder's lawyers included a condition that Allen wouldn't agree to meet according to text messages reviewed by the Post. In addition, I understand that Mr. Allen has agreed to send a text message to Mr. Snyder stating, congrats on the hire. Snyder's attorney wrote in July 2020, seven months after Snyder hired Rivera, Allen's lawyers resolved the pay dispute, but he never sent this text, according to a person with knowledge of the case. End quote. So you had Dan Snyder using the coronavirus pandemic, using the Rona as an excuse not to pay Bruce Allen what he was owed, and you had petty Dan Snyder upset that Bruce Allen had sent a congratulatory text to Ron Rivera but not to Dan. And so Dan actually had it put in the settlement regarding the pay dispute that Bruce must send a congratulatory text to Dan, even though the settlement was happening in July 2020 and Ron Rivera had been hired as Washington head coach on New Year's Day 2020. My friends, you cannot make this stuff up. The pettiness knows no bounds. So yeah, things have gotten ugly, very ugly between Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen, between the Danny and Brucifer. So who knows what Bruce may have told Congress on Tuesday. 
All right, let's talk some actual Commanders football, shall we? Up next, I'll welcome on Commanders analyst Nathan Commanders Stats Coleman for a Commanders 2022 season preview. Well, where would we be without coffee? Uh, It is one of life's great pleasures, isn't it? Uh, I drink coffee, and I'm a big fan of Trade Coffee, which has a terrific offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service unlike anything that you've tried before. That's because Trade Coffee partners with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffee in the country directly to where you live and on your preferred schedule. Uh, Trade Coffee's experts do all of the work. They taste test hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. Uh, The coffee that I get from Trade Coffee is really good, and the Trade Coffee team actually worked with me to create my own custom collection. Trust me, I'm no coffee expert, but thanks to Trade Coffee, I have like a super collection of coffee. I have a dream team of coffee. And one of the best things about Trade Coffee is that it has whatever it is that you want. You can shop Trade Coffee's most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can do what I did, take the Trade Coffee quiz. Uh, Just takes a few minutes, and you get expertly matched with coffees that you'll love. If you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee that you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. So here's what you do. Go to drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off your first order, plus free shipping. Get hooked up with great coffee at a great price, all while supporting small businesses. Visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off plus free shipping. That's drinktrade.com slash algaldi. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, 
All right. The Commanders will begin their 2022 regular season this Sunday afternoon, home to the Jacksonville Jaguars at one. Washington has not had a winning regular season since the 2016 regular season. Hasn't had a double-digit win regular season since the 2012 regular season. What's it going to take for at least the former, if not both of those things, to change this coming season. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the podcast one of the smartest people out there when it comes to talking commanders, especially through the prism of analytics. He is commanders analyst Nathan Coleman. You can find him on Twitter at commanderstats. Hey, Nathan, how are you? Al, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate you coming back on. Uh, It has been a while. This is the first time that we've talked since the end of Washington's 2021 season. I guess let's start with this, uh, what the team did in its quest for a franchise quarterback. Uh, Rod Rivera made it no secret that the team was searching for a franchise quarterback. The team ultimately traded for Carson Wentz. Uh, Looking back on everything and given the benefit of hindsight, are you good with what the commanders did in their quest for a franchise quarterback, or do you wish that they had done things differently? I think with the benefit of hindsight, the pessimist out there is going to say, look, Jimmy Garoppolo right now basically doesn't cost anything. You could have gotten this guy for free. Is he that different from Carson Wentz? The optimist says Carson Wentz could still be that franchise guy, whereas a guy like Baker Mayfield, a guy like you know uh, Jimmy Garoppolo really can't reach that ceiling. So ceiling is what we always talk about with Carson Wentz. It's can you replicate that 2017 season? Can you catch lightning in a bottle again? And I think for Washington, even Wentz at you know 80% of what he was is still better than a Taylor Heineke. It's still better than a Alex Smith on one leg. So they're hoping for a you know quarterback 15 type of performance from Wentz, and I think that's very possible for this season. Carson Wentz, when viewed via analytics, is really interesting, at least to me. Uh, There are some very impressive things, like the fact that he has finished four of the last five regular seasons in the top 12 among qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR, Uh, like that he, for the 2021 regular season, was number one among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL and Football Outsiders DVOA metric on pass attempts of at least 20 air yards. But there also are some things that aren't so impressive, like some of his pro football focus grades. I know that you look at a lot of this stuff. Uh, what's your take on Carson Wentz as a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're an optimist, the first thing you're going to talk about with Wentz is probably like his touchdown to interception ratio. That's what everyone talks about. And, and trust me, it's excellent. He always has a lot of touchdowns and very few interceptions. But if you really parse into the numbers, I mean, so much of touchdowns are, are random, right? And so much of interceptions are random. They really don't like tell you that much about a play. When you really dive into some of the numbers, I mean, he's been like your quarterback 18, your quarterback 19 pretty consistently for most of his career. Now, that being said, he's never really had a lot of talent around him except for that Super Bowl run in Philly. And even in Philly, he didn't really have a very good set of receivers. He really just had tight end and a good offensive line. Um, I think this is his best year as far as skill players go, as far as offensive line. Um, So I think he has all the tools he needs, but it's going to be a matter of putting it all together on the field. I I like his strengths as a passer. It's passing to the intermediate part of the field, you know, stretching the ball to the hash marks and then throwing the ball deep. And that's something that Heineke last year really struggled with. So I think uh, Wentz's strengths really complement the receivers because you have three sort of vertical receivers that can get down the field that can stretch the 
stretch the field vertically, and that's something Wentz kind of – that's his strength. I mean, he was one of the most accurate deep ball passers last year, and I think that's something you've seen throughout his career. So, uh, you know, for Wentz to really reach his ceiling, though, they're – they're they're gonna have to pass the ball a lot you know i think last year with the colts they wanted to turn wentz into a game manager they wanted to turn him into like an alex smith type and throughout his career that's never been his uh you know that's never been who he is as a quarterback he's always been a guy who's been a gunslinger he's kind of sporadic uh you know he he's inconsistent on shorter throws but to unlock this offense you really need to unlock those explosive plays and the only way you're going to get there is by throwing the ball down the field do you believe that Scott Turner will coordinate a commander's offense that does that? Yeah, there's, there's a lot to like about Scott Turner. He uses a lot of play action. He uses a lot of motion. Um, he gets the team in good third down situations. And by good third down situations, I mean, there's not a lot of yards to go on third down normally. He's pretty good at that. Uh, the, the problem seems to be with Scott Turner is like they just he, he's never had a real quarterback and a, a good skill players at the same time. And I think that's something he's going to work on. But the one thing I really like about Turner more than anything is he knows when to run the ball. If you look at their numbers, they're like number one in run block win rate. And they're always running against light boxes. You know, they're not wasting runs against heavy stack boxes. They, they wait and they pick and choose their moments when to run the ball. The problem is they have running backs who are really inefficient when, when they do get the ball. They'll have easily blocked running lanes and they're not getting the most out of it or they're fumbling the ball. Um, so, so there's a lot to like with Turner, and I think uh, this is his third year as a play caller, like full-time play caller in this offense. So I think he's comfortable with what he's doing, and this is, again, his best group of skill players by far that he's had throughout his career as a coach. So, Regarding the cast of offensive skill position players for the Commanders, there is a lot of hype for this group, including, by the way, internally. Uh, I do know that the Commanders internally believe that they have a very good group of offensive skill position players. This is very much a chicken and egg topic, but in your opinion, do quarterbacks make skill position players or is it more that skill position players make quarterbacks? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it all boils down to a target is a skill owned by the receiver. The best receivers get the most targets. The quality of that target is determined by the quarterback. And so quarterbacks can elevate the receiver, but I mean, it works both ways. I, I would say for Washington, last year they were last in the NFL in yards after catch. So they weren't creating anything on their own. And we know that yards after catch comes down to, you know, quality of the catch, the, the pass you're getting. And then also, can you create after you catch the ball? And last year they didn't have that. They were terrible at that. Uh, and a lot of that's due to injury and just they didn't have a lot of depth. But, you know, this year you have Curtis Samuel, who's one of the best in the league at that if he's healthy. McLaurin was the second most double-teamed re receiver in the NFL last year, so he'll probably have less double-teams, which will be great for him. And then John Dotson is, you know, he's your – he's kind of like a Tyler Lockett or Doug Baldwin. He just reminds me of like a Seattle receiver. I mean, that, that's when I think of Dotson, that's who I think of. Either Tyler Lockett or Doug Baldwin are an awesome combination of the two. So they're, they're, they're definitely going to have some guys who can create after the catch, and that's the name of the game in today's NFL. The NFL defenses today, they're all about – can they clamp down on third down? Can they stop the big explosive plays on early downs? And then can they stop you from running after the catch? And you've seen that more this year than any year before. Like teams are not converting on third down as much. They're not generating a lot of like 
big plays down the field, and that's going to continue. So you need guys who can create after the catch, and those three receivers can do it. I mean, Logan Thomas, he's not really a guy who creates after the catch. He doesn't create separation. He's more of just a big target, um, which is fine. And you also have the backs who can create too, but it'll be interesting to see how it works because, like you know, Wentz is not an accurate quarterback, so that he's going to have to really work with those receivers to like. I don't know. I hope they can expand their catch radius a little bit because that was the issue with Michael Pittman last year. Michael Pittman had a great year, you know, over a thousand yards, but he was one of the receivers who left so many yards on the table because of inaccurate throws or just the quarterback not finding him. So hopefully we don't see that this year with a guy like Terry McLaurin. Yeah, well, Terry McLaurin is no stranger to the contested catch. Uh, finished the 2021 regular season number one in the NFL with a 25 contested catches for Pro Football Focus. Uh, Jahan Dodson, at least at Penn State, excellent hands, tremendous catch radius. So I think that it's quite possible that the commanders have a pass catching core that is adept at catching passes that uh, aren't necessarily featuring bullseye accuracy. Yeah, yeah, I mean... You could definitely see that. I mean, they, they're used, like you said with McLaurin, I mean, he's kind of made his money doing that. So, yeah. Uh, and, and you never know, like Wentz could have like one of these really strong seasons where he, he's on the money and he just feels really comfortable in the offense. What's your biggest concern with Carson Wentz? Um, you know, <laughs> there's a lot to it. It depends if you get good Carson or bad Carson, but it really, to me, it's just uh, inaccuracy. Like that's just something he struggled with. Like he doesn't he he struggles with the layups, and usually the layups are the are the thing that most like even backup quarterbacks quarterbacks are pretty good at. Like Taylor Heineke, he can hit all the layups. He can hit open receivers within ten yards of the line of scrimmage. He's money. I mean, for the most part, Wentz is kind of the opposite. He makes all the difficult throws, but the easy throws for some reason kind of elude him. And I think it has to do with just like mental processing. Like he doesn't. He, he, he doesn't seem to like the game hasn't it's sped up too much for him sometimes. At least that's what it seemed like last year. But I mean, if you get good Carson Wentz and he's comfortable and he's surrounded by good skill players, like you could see him have a really solid season. Like there's no reason, you know, his ceiling to me is like uh, like Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr last year. They had really awesome years, you know, like top 12 seasons, but they're maybe not necessarily like a elite quarterback. And that's kind of what you're hoping for from from Wentz. And I mean, it's it's possible. Much more with Nathan Commander Stats Coleman in moments. I'm going to next ask him about Sam Howell and what he might be for the Commanders. But something that is for you is your skin. Uh, Your skin is a big part of who you are. It accounts for about 16% of your body weight, Uh, whatever your skin health needs may be. Always know that Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Whatever your dermatological needs may be, call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a big Commanders fan. He's a loyal listener of this podcast and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focus on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you're dealing with allergic reactions, if you're dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or 
chemical peels if you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers, including treatments that many other practices do not offer, like SRT, which is superficial radiation therapy. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. But call 301-396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Commander's Analyst Nathan Coleman, who you can find on Twitter at Commander Stats. Uh, we know that it is that so few non-first-round quarterbacks become starting NFL quarterbacks, uh, let alone franchise NFL quarterbacks. Uh, that said, things are a little different with Sam Howell, who the Commanders took in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Things got weird with quarterbacks in the 2022 Draft. They all fell big time. Uh, Howell is someone who about a year ago was viewed as potentially being not just a first-round pick in the 2022 Draft, but maybe the number one overall pick in the 2022 Draft. He had a good preseason. He does have talent. Uh, what's the right way of looking at what the Commanders might have in Sam Howell? Yeah, it's a good question. There's a lot to peel back here. Um, you know, Davis Mills was a guy who, he, at one point, he was thought to be like a top 10 pick, and he has a five-star recruit, and he got a chance, even though he was a third-round pick to play, and he's been pretty good in his first year. I mean, he was the best rookie quarterback last year. Now, I don't know what's going to happen at this point with Davis Mills, um, but, you know, that kind of shows, like, there is an opportunity for Sam Howell, but we know that there are hundreds and hundreds of ex examples of these day three quarterbacks and they've gotten their shot. Maybe they didn't, but for whatever reason, they all fail. And I think like there's a thousand facts, factors as to why they fail. But ultimately, I think it boils down to like opportunity. A lot of these guys never get the chance to play. If they do, they get one star or they're they're passed over when a new regime comes in. You know, it happens all the time. So for Sam Howell, like he's probably never going to get a fair shot here. Maybe uh maybe a year from now or two years from now. But I just. I, with, with with quarterbacks, like we've seen it so many times. There's been so many talented quarterbacks that look good in the preseason that, you know, they, they have all the talent in the world. And then you get them in the regular season for whatever reason, they just don't pan out. But for me, if Howell can turn into a really competent backup, that's a huge W for this franchise. Getting getting like a quarterback to actually contribute to your team in the fifth round is special. It doesn't happen that much. I think people just need to like lower their expectations because it never happens. Like you're talking about, Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, and Kirk Cousins, who have been successful on day three. And those guys went into, like, perfect situations. You know, like, it almost never happens. So I wouldn't get your hopes up. You know, like, like your best-case scenario is Carson Wentz turns into a franchise guy and, like, turns back the clock. Or, you know, you're rebuilding again. But, you know, how is exciting, though? If, if uh, Wentz implodes and how gets to play and he proves himself, that's interesting. I mean, I'm here for it. Like, if, if he can be good, but... I, I mean, I just, I think people overweigh the, they're like a prisoner of the moment with the preseason. When you got to think like he's playing against third and fourth stringers with vanilla offenses, vanilla defenses. Um, you know, it's, it's different in the real game when it speeds up, but you know, I like how I, I think, I think he can turn into like 
a good developmental like backup quarterback. Yeah, and especially with Taylor Heineke set to be an unrestricted free agent in the 2023 offseason, uh, Sam Howell even being just a number two quarterback uh, would be valuable for the commanders. I know that you do a lot with fantasy football. Uh, few running back situations in the NFL are as intriguing as the commander's running back situation. We have Brian Robinson Jr. having overtaken Antonio Gibson as the commander's RB1, but now being on the reserve non-football injury or illness list uh, due to having been shot. Uh, Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jonathan Williams are the three running backs on the commander's 53-man roster. Ron Rivera last Wednesday afternoon was rather non-committal about Gibson reassuming the spot of RB1, even with Robinson out for at least the commander's first four regular season games. What's your outlook on this commander's running back situation? Yeah, I mean, the Robinson situation is crazy. I mean, and Rivera really nailed it, too, because he was talking about, like, the mental side of it is, is the bigger issue. I mean, you can imagine, like, the PTSD you're going to go through having a, something like that creep up right before, like, you're supposed to start a season. So yeah. definitely, like, prayers to him and his family. I mean, that's crazy. But as far as this situation goes, it's going to be a running back by committee, but um, it's going to be the hot hand. And I just don't see a reason why they're going to go away from Gibson. They kind of – they, they, they trust him, at least to a certain degree. Like, yeah, they're worried about the fumbles. But, like, Jonathan Williams is, like, a back who shouldn't be on most NFL rosters, to be honest. I mean, he's your fourth or fifth string running back. So I don't think he's really going to have much of a role. I think Gibson's going to have about a 60% snap share like he did last year. McKissick's going to get all of the passing work. I mean, it's kind of just – they've done the same thing every year. There's no reason to have Gibson in a third down role because he just hasn't shown that he can run good routes – he led the NFL in fumbles plus drops last year when you look at it for a running back. So he's just not – he's not an efficient pass catcher. People keep saying like he played receiver in college and that makes him a good receiver in the NFL. Well, he wasn't that good of a receiver in college. He just played receiver for a year in college because Tony Pollard was a better running back than him. So he got kind of moved to the side. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I think Gibson will be fine in his role and they have a pretty easy schedule. So that will kind of help him early on. But – yeah, it's uh, there's so much ambiguity with Robinson. I have no idea how long he could be out. Right? It's kind of like Chase Young. It is, although every indication that we've gotten in the Brian Robinson Jr. situation is that the expectation is that he will play in the 2022 regular season. You obviously can't just assume that, but every indication has been pointing toward that. If Robinson does come back for this season, what then for Antonio Gibson? Does he become a man without a true role? Yeah, I think uh, it depends on how he's playing when Robinson comes back. If, if Gibson is playing well, he's not fumbling the ball, and he's being efficient as a runner, that, that'll change things, right? Like maybe Robinson will take a backseat. If, if Gibson plays like he did his, his rookie season, that could change everything. Robinson could just be the, the uh, goal line guy, the short down guy, you know, the, the touchdown scorer. But it really just depends on what Gibson is doing. And, and if he shows that he can uh, improve from last year, I mean, it's – it's not just as a pass catcher of fumbles. It's the efficiency at which he ran. Yeah. He was not getting what was blocked. He was not creating after contact. He was just, uh, it had to be part of the injury, but he was just not uh, efficient as a runner. No, he wasn't. And Ron Rivera, during his postgame press conference that followed the commander's first preseason game, the preseason opening loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field on August 13th, was very critical of Antonio Gibson's running style. That certainly seemed to bother Ron Moore than Gibson's lost fumble 
in that game did. Uh, The commander's defense, are you bothered that a defense that wasn't very good last season underwent so few changes in the 2022 offseason? Or is the situation as simple as easier schedule of opposing teams and opposing quarterbacks? Ergo, Washington's defense will be better in the 2022 season as compared to what the defense was last season. Yeah, so so with defense, I think a lot of people like to they like to do micro analysis where they focus on one player or another player. Really what defense comes down to is what opposing quarterback are you playing and are you playing with a lead? Last year, the defense almost never played with a lead. And why is that important? Well, when you play with a lead, you have a chance to pass rush. You don't have to worry about stopping the run. You can just go straight to the quarterback. And it makes it so much easier because you can just rush forward and do what you do best for this team, which is just pass rush. Um, so, their big their big hurdle this year is just going to be playing with the lead. And I think this offense is going to be more complimentary and they can maybe do that a little bit more often. But the other, like, I mean, low-hanging fruit is just without Chase Young, I don't know what this pass rush is going to look like. Um, we saw last year their backup edges. They had over 600 pass rush snaps. Their, back, their backup edges, you know, James Smith, Williams, etc. They had less than uh, 10 sacks with those 600 pass rush snaps. They had one of the lowest like pass rush win rates in the NFL as far as backups goes. They were terrible at pass rushing. And I'm kind of worried like James Smith Williams and hopefully F.A. Obata can really step in there and, and, and crush it because they need a backup who's going to be efficient as a pass rusher, not just stop the run. And that's kind of something I'm more worried about than anything. But no, you talked about it. Continuity is good. Continuity is fine. It's just a matter of playing with the lead and and they have to get something out of Jamin Davis. Last year, honestly, 0 out of 10. He played at a 0 out of 10 level, maybe 1 out of 10. This year, if you can just get him to be an average linebacker, which shouldn't be a stretch for a first-round draft pick, uh, it's going to be night and day. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about that. I think they'll be fine. They're going to bounce back. They, they cannot be as bad as they were on third down. Historically, like, this is one of the worst third down defenses you've seen in the past 15 years. So you're going to see some regression there. They cannot be as bad as they were last year. I say that knocking on wood. <laughs> you've got to expect the bounce back. It's funny when you earlier said that NFL teams are having a harder time converting on third downs. I said to myself, not against our team or NFL teams having a harder time converting on third downs. Uh, Linebacker and all of the conversation about the commanders needing to upgrade at linebacker. And why hasn't the team done more at linebacker? And the team is going into the 2022 regular season with essentially the same cast of linebackers that the team had last season. Has all of the linebacker talk been overrated, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the least important positions on defense, to be honest. As far as, like, positional value, it still matters. Um, I think one area people don't understand is, like, Cole Holcomb is fine. He's, like, your league average linebacker. And then I talked about Jamin already. You're getting, like, a 0 out of 10 performance from him. So they really just need to be average for you to be okay, but... Um, they only used three linebackers, like what, 15% of the time. Um, but they were actually really efficient when they played in base defense last year. So maybe they should do that more often because when they did play in base, they were like top three in EPA. So maybe they should play more base. I I don't know how, what they'll do, but I mean, the big issue for me is like Cam Curl. It's Cam Curl coming back because, you know, he's playing in the box a lot like a linebacker. And if he has that surgery and he's out four weeks, I, I would be nervous if I was a fan because that's that's like your linchpin. That's one of your key players that 
has been consistent the past two years. But, I mean, I'm not too worried about linebacker. How about, like, interior defensive line, right? Like, that makes those the linebackers' jobs easier. And I don't know what you're going to get out of Jerron Payne. I mean, I, I'm waiting for this guy to break out and have, like, a Jonathan Allen-like season. But he, right now, he's just your, like, you know, above-average league starter that stops the run. Like, I need him to be a pass rusher. I need him to be an efficient pass rusher this year. And I think that'll change everything. But who knows if that'll happen. Yeah, it's hard to ignore that. I mean, here we have Deron Payne entering a contract season, and yet the reporting has been that the commanders haven't even offered him a contract extension, haven't even tried to extend him. Like, what does that say about how they truly feel about him? Uh, we know that cornerback play can fluctuate year to year. Uh, Kendall Fuller, William Jackson the third, Benjamin St. Juice now as the top nickel corner. Where are you with the commanders at corner? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, anytime like we talk about defensive back performance, there's a lot of volatility game to game, year to year. It goes up and down. So um, you can like a guy like Kendall Fuller. He is like the ultimate roller coaster. If you kind of look at his performance year to year, they'll have a great year and then a really down year and then a great year and a really down year. And Kendall Fuller's first year in this system, he really struggled at first. It was hard for him to get acclimated. And you can say the same thing for William Jackson last year. Um, so maybe you'll see the bounce back in year two, just like we did with Fuller. Um, so I expect them to be better just from a continuity perspective, from a communication perspective. Um, I, 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 they play a lot of zone and that's not, I mean, the, the real question is like, why did you get William Jackson if you know you're going to play a lot of zone? That was kind of puzzling to me, but, you know, square peg, round hole and all that. But at this point, it doesn't matter. You got to make it work. And I think Jackson even said himself, like he feels a lot more comfortable playing zone. And he's more than capable of doing it. So I feel good about the defensive back. So as long as like Cam Curl is, is healthy, because if he goes out, I, I'm, I'm worried. But the other thing is like slot cornerback. You have a six foot three cornerback playing in the slot. And the trend of the NFL right now is bigger slot players, moving your best receiver to the slot. And usually that's a bigger receiver. So it kind of makes sense that you would get a, a bigger defensive back to kind of mirror that. But, uh, you know, you think about some of the slot receivers that are going to be playing there. It's going to be C.D. Lamb. It's going to be A.J. Brown playing in the slot a lot. You're going to see Kadarius Toney there. So there's some pretty good slot receivers in the NFC East that you're going to have to worry about. Um, so I totally get it. And St. Juice is a really physical player. He can tackle. Um, he has that hip. The, the hip flexibility is going to be huge with him. Can he open up? Can he close? Um, but he has all the talent in the world. But it, the other question is, like, depth after that. What do you do when one of these guys goes down? Because their cornerback four, five, six, like, that would make anybody nervous, if you ask me. I'm with you. I think that depth is a concern for the commanders at a lot of spots on defense. Uh, commanders analyst Nathan Coleman, you can find him on Twitter, at Commander Stats. He's a great follow. Nathan, thanks a lot for your time, and all the best to you. Hey, thanks, Al. I appreciate it. Well, the Nationals on Tuesday night had a game that was uh, far more reminiscent of the kind of games that the Nats have had for the most part this season, as opposed to the kinds of games that we had been seeing from the Nats recently. Uh, Tuesday night, a 4-1 loss at the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals, game two of a four-game series. Nats fell to a Major League worst 48-88 and in the 2022 regular season. The loss ended a three-game winning streak for the Nats, and the loss featured the kind of, you know, sleepy, nothing-happening offensive performance that we had grown accustomed to with the Nats this season. The Nats on Tuesday night, just one run, just seven hits, just one walk, one for seven 
with runners in scoring position. Uh, we had the return of Nelson Cruz. Uh, he returned from a three-game absence caused by having fouled a ball of his left knee in the 7-3 loss at the National League East leading New York Mets this past Friday night. And Nats manager Davey Martinez went right back to having Nelson Cruz as the Nats starting DH at number four batter. Davey's insistence on sticking with Nelson Cruz as the Nats starting DH and number four batter is maddening. Uh, he has been a major disappointment this season. Uh, the Nats in March signed him as a free agent to a one-year contract with a mutual option for 2023. So he's a slam dunk to be a free agent this coming off season. He's not going to be back for next season. This season is his age 41 season. He may well retire after this season. The Nats are the worst team in the majors, and maybe most significant of all, the Nats have options. Uh, the Nats can play Joey Manessis at first base and Luke Voigt at DH, and both of those guys seem like locks to be back with the Nats for next season. Uh, Nelson Cruz on Tuesday night, 0 for 3 with a walk. His OPS for the 2022 regular season is a woeful 654. Him being in that cleanup spot was such a buzzkill for the lineup, which, by the way, uh, did quite well during his three-game absence. 20 total runs over three consecutive wins, each of which came at a division-leading team in the National League. And there's a negative defensive domino effect of Nelson Cruz being the DH, because that means that Luke Voigt plays first base and Joey Manessis plays right field. And each guy is a defensive liability when deployed that way. And sure enough, what happened on Tuesday night? Uh, second baseman Luis Garcia in the bottom of the first was charged with a two-out throwing error as he on a grounder up the middle by Paul Goldschmidt made a nice running and backhanded catch. And then Garcia made a throw across his body, but first baseman Luke Voigt failed to catch the one-hop throw. Uh, Goldschmidt was credited with an infield single and advanced to second base on the air, uh, what was charged as a throwing error to Luis Garcia. But Luis Garcia on that play made a nice play. Luke Voigt needs to be better at catching one-hop throws. He isn't, and that is costing the Nats defensively. Luke Voigt should be the Nats' every game starting DH, not Nelson Cruz. There really is no good reason for Nelson Cruz to continue to be the Nats every game starting DH at number four batter. And none of this is personal against Nelson Cruz, but enough is enough. The Nats are the worst team in the majors. They don't owe anyone anything, especially Nelson Cruz, who has not been good this season. Uh, what is his first and what will be his final season with the Nats? Uh, oh, by the way, Luis Garcia does continue to look good as a batter. He, on Tuesday night, as an ad starting second baseman and number six batter, went one for four with a double. Uh, he did strike out twice, but Garcia, in an ad's one-run second, had a one-out double off the right field wall. He was driven in by Ildemaro Vargas, who also continues to hit. Vargas, on Tuesday night, as an ad starting third baseman and number eight batter, one for three, with an RBI single of Vargas in that Nats one-run second to two-out first pitch opposite field RBI single to right field for a one-nothing Nats lead. And the aforementioned Joey Manessis continues to hit. Uh, this guy has been so impressive as a batter. He on Tuesday night as an Nats starting right fielder and number three batter, two for four with two doubles. A Manessis in the top of the first, a one-out opposite field double to the right field corner on a one-two pitch. Manessis in the top of the ninth, a leadoff double to deep left center field off the glove of Cardinal center fielder Dylan Carlson. Uh, Joey Manessis now has an OPS of 957 
over 128 career Major League regular season plate appearances, all of which have come since the Nats on August 2nd, uh, what was 2022 MLB trade deadline day, selected his contract from AAA Rochester. Uh, This is his age 30 season. This was his 10th minor league season. And the guy has been tremendous since being brought up to the majors. Again, 957 OPS. You cannot say enough about how well Joey Manessis has done as a major league batter. Uh, the Nats starting pitcher on Tuesday night was Paolo Espino. Uh, he was so-so. Paolo allowed three runs in five innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, and four singles. Uh, the homer, the two doubles, and a single all came in a three-run fourth for the Cardinals. Uh, but Paolo also had five strikeouts versus no walks. How about this? Paolo, over his last three starts now, 15 strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, he threw 85 pitches, 55 strikes versus 30 balls. Uh, Paolo for the 2022 regular season now, ERA of 428 in 101 innings over 36 games, including 16 starts. Uh, the Nats bullpen on Tuesday night combined to allow one run in three innings. Andres Machado, perfect bottom of the sixth. Steve Ciszek in the bottom of the seventh, allowed a run as he gave up a leadoff homer to Nolan Gorman into the Cardinals bullpen in right field for a 4-1 Cardinals lead. And Jake McGee tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth. Game three for the Nats at the Cardinals Wednesday night at 7.45. Corey Abbott will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, that was more like it from the Orioles on Tuesday night, although it wasn't easy. Uh, A 9-6 win over the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in Game 3 of a big four-game series. Uh, The win was off that hideous doubleheader sweep to the Blue Jays on Labor Day as the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, The O's needed that win on Tuesday night. I don't want to say that the Orioles' postseason hopes would have been over had the O's lost on Tuesday night, but the O's went into Tuesday four and a half games behind the Blue Jays for the American League's third and final wildcard spot. A loss on Tuesday night would have put the O's five and a half games behind the Jays. At least now, the O's are three and a half games behind the Jays. Uh, The O's for the 2022 regular season now are 72 and 64. These games against the Blue Jays are not easy. Uh, The Blue Jays have a fierce lineup. The Blue Jays can pitch. Uh, You know, the O's on Tuesday night had to overcome a 3-0 third inning deficit and had to overcome more bad pitching. Kyle Bradish on Tuesday night struggled for the first time in three starts. He had been so good in each of his previous two starts. He was not good on Tuesday night. Bradish lasted for just three innings. Uh, He allowed three runs in three innings. He gave up six hits, a homer, two doubles, and three singles. He issued two walks. He did record three strikeouts, but he offers three innings through 66 pitches. Like I said, he had been really good in each of his previous two starts. Bradish in a 2-0 win at the American League leading Houston Astros on August 26th. Eight scoreless innings. Bradish in a 3-0 win at the American League Central leading Cleveland Guardians last Thursday evening tossed seven scoreless innings. He became the first Orioles rookie starter with a regular season scoreless streak of 15 or more innings since Zach Britton in May 2011, but uh, Bradish on Tuesday night, no bueno. Uh, There's an inconsistency with Kyle Bradish for sure. He, in this 2022 regular season, now has made 18 major league starts. He has an ERA 
of 530. He at times has been excellent and he at times has uh, not been very good. Uh, rough game for the Orioles' bullpen. Four Orioles relievers combined to allow three runs in six innings, and this was the Orioles' A bullpen. Uh, the four relievers were Dylan Tate, CNL Perez, Brian Baker, and Felix Batista. Like I said, the Blue Jays can hit. That is not an easy lineup to navigate. And speaking of Brian Baker, a former Blue Jay, uh, he got into it with the Blue Jays on Tuesday night. Baker struck out Matt Chapman to end the top of the seventh, and then... The dugouts and bullpens emptied. Uh, The Blue Jays said that they were upset that Baker has made a habit of staring into their dugout when he pitches. Uh, Baker got into it with Teoscar Hernandez, and uh, things got a bit dicey. So dicey that we had the delay of the John Denver song, Thank God I'm a Country Boy, uh, in between the top of the seventh and the bottom of the seventh. But we did eventually get the playing of that song. No punches were thrown or anything like that, but things did get testy. Uh, Here was Brian Baker with reporters after the game. Uh, just a just a disagreement. Um, just something that got taken too far, um, and uh, probably shouldn't have come to that. But uh, yeah, it was just a, a disagreement with with uh, Tay Oscar, who I've I've played with before. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it just came a little, just went a little bit too far. When you say disagreement, did, did he just take, I mean, because you're, you're an emotional guy out there, obviously. Did he take that in the wrong way? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think everybody knows at this point I'm pretty fired up, uh, pretty intense out there. Um, and it was it was nothing towards their team or anything. It was just it was just kind of letting him know that I know that he's you know talking. So um, there's really no there's really no issue with the team or anything like that. And I I don't think there's any bad blood or anything like that. I just I just uh, yeah I just just was letting him know that really. Uh, there you go. Uh, I do not mind what happened on Tuesday night. I like that there's bad blood between the Orioles and the Blue Jays. I mean, if you are an O's fan, you hate the Blue Jays. You remember what happened in the 1989 regular season. You remember what happened in the 2016 American League wildcard game. There is history between the O's and the Jays. And the history is not good from an Orioles perspective, okay? The Jays have bested the O's way too often. The Jays have done the O's dirty way too often. Uh, The O's on Tuesday night scored nine runs, uh, scored the nine runs on nine hits and six walks, went six for 11 with runners in scoring position. Uh, Another big game for Adley Rutschman. He is having a very nice series. Rutschman on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter, one for three with a two-run double and two walks. Rutschman in an Orioles five-run third inning, a bases-loaded two-run opposite field double to left field to cut the Orioles' deficit to 3-2. A Rutschman in the doubleheader on Monday when it combined 5-for-9 with a solo homer, a double, three singles, and an RBI force out. Uh, also, the Blue Jays' destroyer, Ryan Mountcastle, came through on Tuesday night. This guy, when he faces Toronto, just mashes against Toronto. Uh, Mountcastle on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting first baseman and number four batter, two for five with a two-run single and an RBI single. Mountcastle in that Orioles five-run third, a one-out RBI single through the left side of the infield for a 4-3 Orioles lead. And Mountcastle in an Orioles three-run eighth, a two-out first pitch, two-run single to left field for a 9-5 Orioles lead. And the second run was scored by Adley Rutschman, who ended up being ruled to have scored via the home plate collision rule.
Uh, O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night, was asked if this win was the Orioles' biggest win of the season. Well, it's a big win just because of where we are in the standings and the team we're playing. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about how we came back tonight and uh, you know, kind of pieced it together bullpen-wise and and um, a couple, two nice nice rallies there to um, you know, give us give us the, you know that three-run eighth was huge. So um, it's a big win. Yes, it is. Uh, also, the O's on Tuesday did option pitcher Bruce Zimmerman back to AAA Norfolk off his, uh, shall we say, rough outing in the 8-4 loss to the Blue Jays in Game 2 of the doubleheader on Monday. Uh, Zimmerman in that game pitched in relief. He allowed five runs in six innings. He gave up three home runs. Two of them were by Bo Bichette, who hit three homers in the game. And Bichette, by the way, also homered on Tuesday night. Game four for the O's against the Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards Wednesday night at 7.05. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 395, will include a lot on the Commanders. Uh, they, on Wednesday, will be back practicing in preparation for this Sunday afternoon's regular season opener against the Jacksonville Jaguars at 1. Also, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles, and that's on Wednesday night at 745. We'll begin Game 3 of a four-game series at the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals. The O's on Wednesday night at 705. We'll begin Game 4 of the big four-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. You know, the culture is actually damn good. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.